Bibles are marked. I don't hear pages turning, so I think we're ready. Let's pray, and we'll see what God has for us this morning. Lord, as we sit before you at your feet uh, with your word, uh, thinking about uh, being fed, being fed good, wholesome food so that we can stay healthy. Lord, we we know that uh, coming to your word is not just for academic exercise, but we believe that you really want to communicate something to us, that there's no word in, in, in your word that is just haphazard or unplanned or insignificant. We believe that even the letters are significant. And so, Lord, we come saying, what is it you want to teach us? What are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to respond to what we read this morning? And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to do just that, to respond. Because we recognize, Lord, that faith without works is dead. And that we are called not to just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. And so, Lord, we're prepared that this morning your word might challenge us to change. Might challenge us to think differently than we have in the past. Might hit us in a place where we are, um, have a wall up and you are trying to dismantle that. So, Lord, we, we hesitantly, tentatively say to you, have your way in us. Be gentle with us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. I'm going to read to you uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, and then we'll go back and we'll begin to uh, take a look at it. Verse 30 says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him about all things, excuse me, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. You guys are are likely very familiar with that account. As I've mentioned in an email, it's in all four Gospels. The only miracle besides the resurrection that shows up in all four Gospels. So it must be important. I'd say if God wants to repeat it four times... It must be something pretty important. Anytime I take the time to repeat something four times, it's usually because I want it to be heard. And and, and so we see God repeating this. It's it's located just on the heels of 
another feast, another uh, party, so to speak, where we were around the table of Herod Antipas, watching as uh, they were entertained with alcohol, booze, and dancing. And, and that was where she asked for the, the, uh, the daughter, asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That was that feast. Now we, we sort of, this juxtaposition of a, of a different feast, meant to be compared to that one, this feast where Jesus is the provider. And, and you know, we, we know it as the feeding of the 5,000. I say it's, a, it's the first lesson in Wonder Bread distribution, but that's, that's another story. So they have heard about, the disciples have, and Jesus has been, had told about what happened to John the Baptist. He now knows that his cousin, John the Baptist, and, and friend, no doubt, the guy that baptized him, has been beheaded in prison. And now the disciples, or the, the apostles, the ones who had been sent out on the short-term mission trip, now they come back, they had evidently regathered to Jesus at some predetermined time, and, and they're all gathering together after having been out doing ministry. And so verse 30 tells us again, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And, and that's a real excitement that happens when and if you decide to engage in some type of ministry, uh, whether it's street evangelism or you know, some type of mission trip. Uh, we often have, you know, when a group comes back from a mission trip, we have a missions night so that the people who have been there can share what they've learned, what, they've, what they taught, what they did while they were out. And, and for those, of, those that have been on the trip, the excitement is, is a gazillion times greater than those that haven't. I mean, when you go out and you engage in ministry and God shows up and things happen, I mean, the disciples were teaching, but they were also being used by God for healing and, and, and for working miracles. And so this was, I mean, you can imagine their own surprise. I mean, sometimes it's us that are the greatest surprise. We go out on a mission trip and we're like, oh, you know, God showed up and this is what happened and that's what happened. And we come back and we're so excited to share that with people because it's really it's really energizing. And so they come back and they, they gather to Jesus and they're just going on and on. Peter just can't, you know, he just, he just talks all the time anyway. So he's just telling about everything that they did. And, oh, you'll never believe what happened. And we met these people and, and, and they're going on about all that they did and what they taught. Probably also looking for his approval of these things. And he said to them as he's listening to them go on about their mission trip, he says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted or more literally a private is the idea, a private place, and rest a while. And that's also a good word for us. After you have, and while you are engaging in ministry, rest. We don't do rest very well in America, do we? We do more and more and more. And listen, I'm preaching to myself in this. Jesus had, was well aware of what they had encountered and how they had been serving. And he says, you know what, now it's time for rest. Rest is such an important part of your life. Matter of fact, if you're engaged in any type of athletics or training, you know that rest is the time when strengthening occurs. Rest is the time when rebuilding occurs. You know, when, when, a, when a person goes to the gym and lifts weights, that actually tears muscle. And then that muscle, if it continually gets torn, it breaks down. It doesn't get a chance to repair and rebuild. And it's when it repairs and rebuilds during the rest phase, that's when it gets stronger. So far from being just a side thing that maybe we, we think about or maybe we talk about, rest is actually a primary function to growth. And it's important for your life. And do you know what happens in your life when you don't get enough rest? Nobody wants to be around you. We don't want to be around you. 
I don't, you don't want to be around me. If I, I become a bear if I don't get my rest. Like yesterday, was it yesterday or day before yesterday? Yesterday it was. I was just like in that place where I'm like, I just need alone time. Like I've been with people all week and it's just, you get to start to get this sense inside yourself. Like if I don't get some quiet time, I'm going to explode. And, and just, and I don't mean that in a, an explosive anger way, just like, ah, just feel this need to rest. And so it's, you know, ministry is awesome, and it's exciting, and it's fantastic, but it is tiring. And, and the, the emotional and spiritual fatigue is a much different fatigue than physical. It's much easier to be, when you're physically tired, it feels good, and you, and you sleep great at night. When you're emotionally tired, when you're spiritually tired, it's not a good feeling. It's very difficult. So very wisely, Jesus says to them, and I think maybe the King James says, come apart by yourselves. And I think that's an interesting translation because if you don't come apart by yourself, you're going to come apart. So I need that. And it's, I'm a people person, so extroversion comes easy. I know this is a surprise to you guys. Uh, extroversion comes easy to me. So where the Lord had to work in my life was cultivating a quiet time. Because I will gravitate toward public time, toward people time. But even I have a, have, have a limit. Even I have a, a baseline that I can't, can't get past. Uh, but some of you are isolated people. And, and you do well with coming apart uh, by yourself or coming aside by yourself. And for you, the challenge is to be more extroverted and be involved. So everybody's wired a little bit differently. So, hey, this, so this is the idea. Let's get together alone with Jesus. We've done the ministry. Let's have some time alone. For the, and here's why. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. I mean, it was ministry. We've been, Mark has been highlighting that for us. I mean, Jesus' ministry was very, very busy. And, and so they, they didn't even have time to sit down and get some lunch. Every time they'd sit down for lunch, the phone would ring. Or someone else would knock on the door. Or something's happening, and they just can't even get time to eat. So... They departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Ah, finally, we're going to get to go on that pastor's retreat we've been looking forward to. You know, we're just going to get to go and be alone and have some quiet time and pray and get energized and get built back up in the Lord. So you can imagine these guys are excited to just continue, just have some quiet time with Jesus. And then verse 33 says, but the multitudes saw them. All right, here we go. So the multitudes see them departing. And many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. So as they see the disciples and Jesus get into the boat, they've been using this boat as transportation because they can hardly walk on land because of the crowds. So they're traveling a lot of places from from port to port or village to village by boat. And so they get back in the boat to go to really, I think it's uh, Luke that tells us they're going to Bethsaida, which we go to, we go through on our trips to Israel. Uh, and they're going to try to get some quiet time there. But the people see the boat hanging out. They go, hey, wait, who is that? Is that Jesus and his disciples? Yeah, it is. Let's go. Come on. And so he had such a popular reputation. And now the disciples had gone out in six groups of two. And, had, and the reputation had spread even farther. Now they're all rock stars healing the sick and helping people and teaching. So as soon as they take off, they're recognized. And they're like, hey, follow that boat, you know. We're, and so you can imagine... We know at the end, Mark says there's 5,000 men. So I think it's Matthew that says there's also women and children. So the estimates are that there's between 10 and 15,000 people. 
Now imagine getting into the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is not a really huge lake. It's a lake, it's just, and it's not really huge. So you can see from the shore boats on the sea. So they're, they're in the, and, and no, no doubt Jesus looks on the shoreline, and as, they, as the crowd begins to follow each village, more people are joining the crowd, and this crowd is growing. And they must have looked to him like a flock of sheep, just running across the, across the, the mountainsides there. Just from a distance, these little tiny figures wearing their, their linen robes and whatnot just looked like a flock of sheep. And that'll be important in a minute. But they're following him. They see him. And the interesting thing is they arrived before them. So they were making better time on land than he was making on the, on the water in the boat. They didn't have the, the motor going at that point. Row faster, Peter. Row faster. <laughs> they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. Now, can you just, before you read the rest of that sentence, just take a minute and think about that. Think about the disciples. Think about the busyness of life. Think about the last time you tried to put the kids down to bed or try to get a nap. And you were just so ready for that nap. And then someone knocks on the door or the phone rings or something happens. And just like, can't I lay down for five minutes? I mean, can't I just get a break? And so here they are, they're ready for their retreat. And they get out of the boat when they were at this place they were going to hopefully get some quiet time. And there's, there's 10,000 <laughs> 10, people waiting for them. Now, if I wrote the story, if this was me, little human Steve, it would have said, and Jesus, when he, and Steve, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was really frustrated. And actually got angry with the people. And said, give me a break. Can't I get a minute to myself? You know, that, but that's our humanness, right? I mean, that's our humanness. But that is not, and, and we're, you know, we're meant to see this, not because God wants to grind us to powder with ministry. You know, that's not what his intention is. But he sees, the, he sees the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. And the word compassion, it speaks of the bow, your bowels. When they, when they felt something deeply, you know, you ever say, I felt it in my gut. You feel, when, he, when Jesus saw people coming to him, it, it moved him deeply. I mean, it, what moves you deeply? I mean, isn't that an interesting question for us? I don't know. In America, I'm not sure what moves. There's stuff that we go, we watch in the news or we hear this or we see that and we go, wow, that's a bummer. That's sure hard. But to be moved deeply means to actually do something. And we can look at things and go, yeah, you know, well, that's somebody else's problem. And I pray that as you grow in the Lord, you, you, God gives you a burden for something. That when you see it, it moves you deeply. It moves you so deeply that you can't just stand by and watch it happen without getting involved. And Jesus is moved in his gut. He's moved deeply. And he's moved with compassion. I mean, he feels for them. He understands their situation. He's not moved with anger, not moved with frustration, not moved with discouragement, not moved by his own needs. He's moved by theirs. And he has compassion on them. Why? Because this is when Jesus sees people, this is what he sees. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. That's the first thing he comes up with. He doesn't say, man, they're like clients who need service. 
He doesn't say they're like an audience that needs to be entertained. He doesn't say they're like customers that need supplies. None of those things. When Jesus sees those people coming, hungry, desperate, needy, hurting, he sees them like sheep who don't have a shepherd. Now, a couple things. I did a little bit of more sheep research. And as I read this, this is so fascinating because, you know, the, the, the body of Christ, we're, 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 the church is talked about as a body, a bride, and a flock. And that's why I said this morning, you know, good morning, flock. There's a reason. And it's very interesting that we are compared to sheep. And, and sheep, as much as maybe other people have said it, sheep are not stupid animals. They have very strong instincts. Two very important instincts they have. Number one, flocking behavior. This is not from a Christian website, by the way. It's just from a sheep website. As if sheep have their own websites. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Sheep are best known for their strong flocking or herding and following instinct. They will run from what frightens them and band together in large groups for protection. This is the only protection they have from predators. There is safety in numbers. It's harder for a predator to pick out a sheep, uh, pick a sheep out of a group, than to go after a few strays. Uh, we know in the Bible, Peter writes, uh, "Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Whom will he devour? Those that are alone." those that are separated from the group. Because, look, today, uh, church, formal church, this gathering, this flock congregation is becoming less and less significant to people. To me, the gathering, the Sunday gathering, has been significant for my entire Christian adult life. This is a very, very important time when we come together as a flock. But more and more people are taking it less and less seriously and so it's well, I, I just watch TV church at home. I watch, you know, Joel Osteen, or I watch this guy on TV, and I watch that guy on TV. I say, that's wonderful. That's fine. But when your family has a need, he's not coming through the TV to help you. Go, go ahead and try calling up the ministry down there in Texas and see if you've got a need, if he's going to be here to come and help you. The answer is no. Because he's got you know, a 90,000-seat auditorium down there that he's preaching to. And they've got their own flock there. So if you neglect this, then in your time of need, or, or in your time to give, in your time to participate, no one's going to know you. And you'll wonder why. Why doesn't anybody know? Well, you didn't think it was significant to be part of the flock. You thought just being home was okay until you realize that relationships are vital. And that if you truly are a sheep, you b- will be drawn to the flock. That, that is one way you tell a sheep, he's part of a flock. She's part of a flock. There's a lot of independent sheep out there. And I, I say, well, that's not what God has for you. He has a flock for you. The second thing is following the leader or a following instinct. Now, this can be good or bad. When one sheep moves, the rest will follow, even if it's not a good idea. So you've got to be careful who you follow. The blind can lead the blind, and everybody ends up in a ditch, right? That's what Jesus said. But there is a, a sheep have a strong following instinct. The flocking and following instinct is so strong that it caused the death of 400 sheep in 2006 in eastern Turkey. The sheep plunged to their death after one of the sheep tried to cross a 15-meter-deep ravine, and the rest of the flock followed. 
mean, that's how strong their following instinct is. Even from birth, lambs are taught to follow older members of the flock. Ewes encourage their lambs to follow. The dominant members of the flock usually lead, followed by the more submissive ones. And if there's a ram in the flock, he usually ends up, uh, ends up leading. Now, here's one last point about this. Um, these are all things that are considered in sheep normal behavior. But changes in normal behavior are the first sign that a sheep is sick. The most obvious example is with their natural behaviors, these two I was talking about, their flocking instinct. If a sheep or lamb is isolated from the rest of the flock, it is likely that they are showing early signs of illness. The second thing that is an indicator, and those that have raised animals understand this, appetite is another indicator of health. Appetite, uh, a healthy sheep display normal eating and chewing their cud behavior. By the way, in the Bible, the word meditate is equivalent to the chewing of the cud. When, the, when Psalm 1 tells us that the person, uh, that a person meditates, the person is healthy, meditates on the word day and night, it means to, to, it's that word like chewing cud, like bringing something up, thinking about ruminating on it, then swallowing it back down. And so all day long, kind of thinking and chewing on these things. That's normal for sheep. Sheep do that. So you learn something, you read something, and you chew on it all day. That means you're healthy. They chew their cud for several hours. Healthy sheep are eager to eat. They love Bible study. They can't wait to come to church. They can't wait to find out what the next sermon is on. They love to read the Bible. They're almost always hungry. Listen, lack of appetite is probably the most common symptom exhibited by sick sheep. Not saying this again to condemn, but saying to examine. If you find yourself with a lack of appetite for the word, for the food, you know, then, then maybe it's time to come and see the shepherd. Maybe because you're sick and you haven't realized it yet, but you're lack, because it's just the early phases and a lack of appetite will indicate that you're heading in a bad direction. So if the, if the church is known as, a, as the flock, what then are the leaders of the church to be, to be looked for, uh, looked as, looked on as? Shepherds. Again, God's idea for leadership was not a CEO, was not a businessman, was not a shrewd dealer and, and wheeler and dealer. When God looks to leaders for his people, he looks to people with shepherds' hearts. The people chose Saul. He was big and strong and looked the part of a king. But when God chose, God says, you guys blew it. That was the wrong choice because you looked on the outside. God looks where? And when he found, he said, when he found David, I found a man after my own. And what's that heart? That's a shepherd's heart. David was a shepherd. And on and on through the Bible, you see the shepherd as the example. You imagine if we, we, when we chose a president, we looked to a guy who was a shepherd and not a, a lawyer or someone who, you know, whatever else you might choose, someone who's a, a shrewd politician or an, or an ambassador. Maybe we need a shepherd. That's what God looks for. He said to Peter, do you love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep. That shepherding word. To the elders of the, of, of the church, Peter then writes to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Jesus, of course, said, I'm the good shepherd. So real quick, you've turned to Ezekiel 34. You've marked it. Let's go there just briefly for a second. Because one of the problems in Israel with the nation is, is the shepherds were not doing their job. 
And I, this is a great chapter. I read this chapter very often. It's a good reminder to me. And we're just going to blow through it, not stop and do a lot of commentary, but I just want you to read it because it'll make, I mean, it's, it's not a chapter that needs a lot of commentary. Uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 34 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherd, shepherds feed the flocks? I mean, what's the answer to that question? Yeah, that's what a shepherd does. He lays down his life for the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up what's been broken, nor brought back what has been driven away, nor sought what was lost. Isn't that what Jesus said? I came to seek and save that which was lost. Talking about sheep. Those are, that's, that's sheep language. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Remember when Jesus saw the people running across the hillside, coming after him? He had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw that they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts and the, and, uh, of the field. And they were, when they were scattered, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. I mean, Jesus is going exactly back to Ezekiel 34. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Now skip down to verse 11. He says, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. So who is the I myself speaking about in Ezekiel 34? Who's speaking? For thus says the Lord God. I am going to seek them out. So when Jesus comes and he says, I'm here to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus is God seeking out his flock. And, and this example uh, where we're reading in Mark is a perfect part of this picture. As a shepherd, verse 12, seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so I will uh, seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Pay attention to that. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and all the inhabited places in the country. I will feed them in good pasture. And their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. They shall, there they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So back to Mark chapter 6, if you will. Uh, David said it rightly in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And I don't know, maybe someone, someone is new here this morning or, or, and you just find yourself like a scattered sheep. You know, this passage was so instrumental. I mentioned this in my life because I was meeting people just in my daily conversations, shoeing horses or wherever I was, you know, working or involved. I was meeting people, lots of people. And what was striking me was they, they used to go to church. I kept hearing that over. Well, we used to go to church. Well, what are you doing now? Nothing. Where are you, where are you going now? Nowhere. And, and I began to realize that there was a ton of people in Fluvanna County that were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And this verse, God drilled into my heart in the planting of Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. Because I realized that there was a lot of people that were like sheep. Not, they didn't have direction. They were, they were not under anyone's care. They were just lost. 
just sort of wandering about with no direction, aimless. And notice Jesus' response to, to finding sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And so he began and he taught them all day long. I mean, he taught teaching. Teaching is the feeding of the flock. Taking in the Word of God. Taking in Christ to your life. That's what keeps you healthy. Constant diet. And so Jesus responds to the fact that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to teach them. I'm going to start to shepherd them. And I'm going to do that by teaching them. And that's why part of the reason we place so much emphasis in Calvary Chapel on the Word of God. It is food for the sheep. So when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So this sounds like a good idea. I mean, Jesus is just rambling on and on. He's teaching for hours, right? They, nobody, they just ran to meet him. They didn't take time to think, you know, is he, is he going to preach long today? So we should, maybe we should pack lunch. Wouldn't that be a good model for us? As a, Steve might go on for hours today. The Methodists are going to get all the good seats in the restaurants. Maybe we should pack lunch and bring it to church because we don't know how Nobody thought that way. It, so the disciples are like looking at their watches, you know, oh man, is he, how much long, when is this thing over, you know? And they're like, the sun is going down, you know, it's getting late. And so they come to Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus, <clears throat> um, it's getting late and you're still preaching. And so we're worried because the people are looking kind of hungry. They're drooling, you know, they're salivating. They're looking hungry and all the stores close soon. Food lines only open till sundown. And so we, we figured you ought to send them away. So they can get something to eat. And, it's, and it sounds compassionate, doesn't it? It sounds like a, you know, hey, great idea. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Oh, geez, I thought, geez, I thought you said you give them, like us give them something to eat. Like, you know, like, you're right. You know, we're on break. We're on a retreat here. This is not, we're off the clock. You ever felt that way? And I, I see that that person has a need, but I'm off the clock. This is me time. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Interesting, uh, Jesus, in, in another gospel, he says to, uh, to Philip, he says, where, where are we, we going to go buy food for all these people to eat? Like he's sort of priming the pump, like asking Pete, like nudge, you know, hey, Philip, where are we, we going to get food for all these people? So, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we don't have anything. You, and I like this because verse 36, their answer to the problem was send them away. Now, I want to make a quick application here and we'll move on. One of the challenges, you know, when, when Calvary Chapel Fluvanna started was with a couple of families and that, and that began to grow. You know, we look back sometimes on the early days. Some of you are around here for the Palmyra School days and, and, and the Common Ground days. And we said those were sweet days because it was small. And it was intimate. And then, you know, now we're here, we're here in this big building with two services. And there's a great temptation for those that have been around here for a while to look around and go, man, there's two, I'm, I'm, up, I'm disturbed because the church has gotten too big. Everything's changed. It's too big. I wish those other people that came, wish they, we could just send them away. Send them away. Let them go find a different church. We like our church small and intimate. And those of you that are here today, you know, five years from now when we have four services and one on Saturday night, and you'll be going, I remember the good old days when it was only two services. 
Send them away. And I think the word of God to you might be, why don't you give them something to eat? Instead of saying, hey, let's send them away. Why don't you get involved in feeding other people? Why don't you get involved in discipling people? Well, your answer would no doubt be the same as the disciples was. <laughs> uh, me? Us? Feed them? I mean, this is ridiculous. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? I mean, this is bordering on ludicrous. This is eight months. It would take, I mean, Jesus, do you see how many people are here? That's eight months wages to, to feed all these people. And not only that, we'd have to get the money. Then we'd have to, they're in a deserted place. We'd have to go to the grocery store empty the shelves, and then carry all of it back. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And by the way, in another gospel, it records they, they, would, they, they finally do take stock of what they have and say, well, you know, what is this among so many people? I mean, there's, there's just not enough resources to do that. So their, their first inclination is just like your first inclination, is to look at what you don't have, of the impossibility of the task. What, what, where do we fall short? I mean, I understand that. Shall we go? I mean, we, we can't do this. But he said to them, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So don't look at what we don't have. The question is, well, you've got something. What is it? What do you have? And every one of you, you might not have a PhD. You might not have a master's of divinity. You might not have a high school education. You might not have public speaking ability. You might not have a huge bank account. But what do you have? You've got something. And too many people spend their whole lives looking at the excuses about why they can't do stuff because they don't have the resources. They don't have this. I don't have that. And I love this question. What do you have? So they go, and they says, go and see. So there's 10,000 people, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. They start going out going, all right, anybody got food? Who's got a, who's got a sandwich? Who's got a lunchbox? Who's got anybody? They're just going through the crowd going, all right, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? And then Mark doesn't tell us, but John tells us that they find this little lad, a young guy. How old? I don't know. But somehow he's the only one that brought a lunch. Or the only one willing to share the lunch he brought. Everybody else is like, oh, I ain't sharing with, there's 10,000 people here, you know? So he's not, so this guy, they find, he's like, I've got something, you know, and everybody, whoom, looks at him. Hey, we found something, we found something. Well, how much is it, you know? Well, it's five little dinner rolls, five pitas, and two sardines. Ah, what could that possibly, I mean, that couldn't possibly even scratch the surface of what we need to feed this crowd. That's what they found. They said, all right, five and two fish. That's what the little lad brought, you know, it's, as they were running, they didn't have time to pack lunch. And this guy, he's running out the door, and his mom says, Abraham, come back. You didn't bring, here's your lunchbox. I packed, I packed this for you, you know. And little did he know, this young boy would, would be able to present something that God would use just because his mom took the time to pack him a lunch. And it seemed so insignificant at the time. It seemed so useless, seemed so, so far short of what the need was. And yet God would use it. So verse 39 says, He commanded them uh, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Now it goes back to Ezekiel 34, right? 
He's going to feed them on the, on the hills and the mountains of Israel. He's going to feed them in the green pastures. So Mark's the only one that makes note of this. He's making the connection for us. He makes them sit down in groups like little flocks on the green grass. And by the way, the, the word in the Greek is used is he made them sound, sit down in drinking parties, which is a really weird thing, isn't it? But literally, a, a place where you would go for celebration. They're sitting down like they're ready to feast. That's how he's organizing them in these little flocks. So organization is of the Lord. There are some places where you go, well, you know, we, we can't be too organized because I know you don't find that problem here. We're working on organization. But uh, being organized is a great way to get work done and a great way to make sure people's needs are met. If you've got a flock of 10,000 people, Jesus said, I want you to break them up into groups of 50s. So that way we can make sure everybody's needs are met. And let me tell you, just at Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, we're working on this. We're working hard on this because it's really hard to know that there were people that were sitting over here three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and now they're not here and nobody recognizes. So I like it when people sit. I like it when our flocks are arranged in the, right, in the same places. Like I like it when you sit in the same place every week because now I know you're missing when you're not in your seat. Because it's hard to identify. So who, are you looking around, paying attention to who's around you? Jesus gets them ordered. And, and again, we're working on this as a church, trying to be better about this. Because we want to shepherd well. We want to shepherd with diligence. So the disciples, he gets them all to sit down. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. So he's got just a, a minimal amount of provision, but he takes it. And he looks where? Up. That's where the provision comes from. It's funny, when we pray at dinner time, where do we look? I just changed the whole way you're going to say grace the rest of your life. You know, let's say grace. That's completely opposite. But that's what Jesus, wouldn't it, maybe, you know, we spend enough time looking down, punching keys on a, you know, on, a, on the, the iPhone or whatever. I think we ought to take some more time to look up and say, God, thank you. I know it's not much. But it's from you. And so many times we just, we get, we're so busy complaining about what we don't have, we cease to give thanks for what we do have. So he looks up, and I wonder as he's looking up, and he's breaking the bread. The Gospel of John, this, this break, the feeding of the 5,000 is followed by Jesus talking about himself being the bread of life. So as he's breaking and he's handing out, no doubt he's got the Lord's Supper in his mind where his, the bread is his body broken. And, and it, it spe- the, the language speaks of he broke it once, breaks it, and then continues to give it out. So where does the miracle of, happen? It's hard to say, but he only breaks it once. So he breaks the bread, but then somehow he continues to give it out. And that's how it is with Jesus. Broken once on the cross. He doesn't have to be broken over and over again. He's broken once for the sins of all. And we can continue distributing his life to people. And that's what he does. He's, he, he breaks it. And then the disciples said, the crowd has no idea what's going on. They're like, man, where's all this food coming from? The disciples, are, are, they have baskets. And, and they're, he, Jesus is continuing to fill their baskets. And they're distributing it to the crowd. And that's what they're meant to do. They're not meant to hoard it for themselves. They're meant to take what's given from Jesus and then distribute that to other people. You're meant to receive and to give. And if you fall short, if you're not receiving, you'll have nothing to give. 
And imagine Peter there with the, with the bed, just shoving it in his, you know, in his gown, like everywhere he could stuff bread. You're like, well, I'm, I might be hungry tomorrow. I've got to save this. Instead of feeding the sheep, he was feeding himself. Just sitting down, I'll get to the sheep in a minute. Rah, 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 rah. Not the way it's meant to be. You are healthiest when you're feeding on Jesus, when you're receiving from Christ, and then have an outlet to serve others. That's how discipleship works. This is what Paul told Timothy. Take what you received from me, pass it on to faithful men, who can then pass it on to others also. It's meant to be carried on. So we're meant to be part of that. So he takes it, and, he, and are, are they creating the bread? Are the disciples creating the bread? Say no. No. Jesus, Jesus is the source. I am not the source. Don't look at me to be the source. The elders of the church, not the source. Your, your Sunday school teacher, not the source. Jesus is the source. We are just, as I said in the beginning, we are just in the business of wonder bread distribution. He set it before them. I gave it to them, the disciples, to set before them. And, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Literally glutted. It was buffet time. Fish and bread buffet. And, and so from what they had started with, there was enough for everybody to be filled. There, there is enough of Christ. There, there is no one that can say, well, I've had all of Christ and, and now what's next? To, to be, the idea is that you would, you know, it's like food. You, some people say, well, I just look at food and I get fat. And, and that's a, sort of a, you know, we, we know that's not true. You can't. You can't just look at food and get fat. You can't just look at things. You can't look at the word and, and be filled. You have to take it into yourself. Food only works when you swallow it. And it nourishes you. And, and that's the same way with this bread. It's only going to work if they swallow it and eat it. And, and that's what happened. They were filled. They were glutted. They ate all that they could. They were all laying down. Because that's how they're kind of on the green grass, kind of laying on their side. They're in these little little groups. Uh, and again, it's described here like little gardens. As the, as the Greek word describes it as little gardens. So looking out at the, at the hillside looked like groups of little garden boxes. As they're in their different colored gowns and stuff. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. So by the time they were done, there was leftovers. And the leftovers were more than they started with. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So again, 10,000 roughly uh, altogether, 10,000 to 15,000 possibly. So some amazing things, uh, again, in this passage, uh, some amazing truths I hope that you've picked up as we went through. Uh, For me... Just watching what God can do when you give him. Maybe you say, you know, I've got, got so little time. I don't have time. I don't have resource. I don't have money. I don't have education. I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, what do you have? And when you give, even that, you say, well, it's just, it's so insignificant. I mean, it really can't matter. I mean, I, I know the offering boxes are in the back, but I don't make much. We live, you know, we live hand to mouth and month to month paycheck. And I really, you know, I can't. Maybe I could give a dollar. Well, then give a dollar. Maybe 50 cents. What, you know, whatever it is. It, maybe I only have an hour a week I could possibly volunteer. And really, there's so many needs. What could I possibly accomplish? Hey, look, that's where everybody starts. That's where everything starts. For me, it was, I, you know, I can, just, I can help out here. I can do this little thing there. But if you give it to him, you will be amazed what God can do with it. I'm, and I know, look, I know this preaches well. And I hope you see past it. 
I'm not just preaching to you something that preaches good. This is the truth. When you take the time and you say, God, I'm going to make myself available to you, because so many people figure, well, what I have is so insignificant, it won't really matter. It does matter. When every person finds something to engage in, some little part, some little way to help, amazing what God can do with that. Amazing what God can do with that. So don't, don't take it lightly. Don't, take it, don't belittle the, the little you have in the hands of God. Now, this is a creative miracle. So on, on, the, on, on the first level, simply, he's creating uh, bread, creating fish. You know, he, he breaks it, but then he just keeps handing out. So again, the, the, he's a Lord over creation. And this is a shepherding 101 lesson for the disciples, isn't it? They're going to learn not to be rock stars, not to be prima donnas as pastors. Now that, you know the word pastor just as shepherd. They're, in, they're synonymous. Pastor means shepherd. And they're going to learn what it means to lay down your life for the flock. They're going to learn what it means to, to receive from Jesus what you're going to give to the people, what you're going to feed to people. To receive Jesus to yourself and then to give that to people. That's what, and they're going to learn to lay their lives down for the flock. When they're tired, when they're hungry, Remember, they had gone away. They didn't have time to eat. So many people were coming. And now they're having to distribute bread to others before they even get a chance to eat themselves. At the end, there were 12 baskets full of, fra- uh, full of fragments. How many disciples are there? 12 disciples. They're each going to have more than they had at the beginning and time to eat when the ministry is through. So lot, many, many more lessons. A real important story. I pray that you would continue to chew the cud on this one. Think it through for yourself. And ask the Lord to apply it to your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you'd help us to understand the, uh, the meaning behind what we're receiving here. And what it means to us. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are like sheep without a shepherd. They've been scattered, hungry, sick, lost. And you've brought them in today here to this flock. And they've been introduced to the good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for his flock. The one who presents his own body as food, as nourishment for the life. And I pray that they would uh, enter in, enter into all that you have for them, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's well-fed sheep said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.